Welcome to Redemption's podcast. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church, found in Kirkwood, Missouri, in the greater St. Louis area. Before we dive into the content, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. Welcome to Redemption. So glad you guys are here. Happy Easter. Okay, all right. Okay, we're like in that mid-afternoon lull, right? Like, happy Easter. All right, Christ is risen. That's right, he's risen indeed. Come on. Uh, listen, last year we, we were not uh, in person for Easter. And if you don't know, Redemption is just over a year old. We planted January 26th of 2020. And so the reality is, this is our very first time in person. And so what that means is we can't let it go to waste, all right? So uh, he is risen. That's right. Come on. We got to get excited because we serve a Christ. We serve a man. We serve a God who didn't stay in the tomb, but he broke out three days later. And we get to celebrate that today. And so we're going to celebrate that today. Okay, We're going to have a good time today. Um, if, if, uh, if this is your first time to Redemption, I just want to say welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. There are so many of you. I didn't get an opportunity to meet every single one of you. And so I'm going to be out in the lobby after this service. And I would love to just say hello to connect with you. And the reality is this, that I won't even be able to connect with every one of you in the lobby. And so what I want to do is I want to say, hey, I'd love to get coffee with you. And so connect with me on Instagram, something like that. Uh, my name on Instagram is Ball Corey. And, uh, and so I would love to connect with you. And uh, let's, yeah, let's just, you know, let's engage. Let's get to know each other, okay? Um, well, if you've heard it said in tongue-in-cheek um, about the church and Easter, some of you have heard it said in tongue-in-cheek that that Easter is the church's Super Bowl. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I think it's a really weird phrase. And, uh, and so at Redemption, we don't say that it's the Super Bowl, but we do believe um, that it's more of a start of a relationship. Because reality is this, if it was a Super Bowl for us, we'd have really awkward, uh, you know, halftime shows. We don't have that, uh, really inappropriate halftime shows. Uh, you know, we, we don't show million-dollar Doritos commercials. We don't do that either. And, uh, and we also don't have 27 different chip dip options in our living room. And so uh, this isn't really the Super Bowl for us, but it is the beginning of a relationship with so many of you. And so um, if you've ever been on an awkward first date, and let's be honest, they're all awkward. Uh, who has not been on an awkward first date? That's probably like actually the hand to raise, right? They're all kind of awkward. I, I, you know, the funny thing is, I asked that question, who has not been on an awkward first date? Like five children raised their hand. Yeah, because they're the only ones. And they know that eventually they're going to go on a first date and it's going to be awkward. Um, but here's the deal. Even awkward first dates can turn into something beautiful. And, uh, and that's how I met my wife. It was an awkward first date, and then it was beautiful after a while. Um, but, uh, but yeah, here at Redemption, we don't, we don't look at this first visit for you as a Super Bowl, but we look at, at, look at it as an awkward first date. Uh, this past week, I was kind of on this train of thought, thinking like, man, when you attend something for the first time, when you attend a church for the first time, like, what are the feelings, what are the emotions that kind of go through your, your mind and your body? And I was thinking through some of those things. And, uh, and so then I was thinking about this first date thing, and so then I looked up. Uh, top 10 reasons why women don't go back on a second date with a guy. Yeah, and uh, so as you can tell, it was a super productive week. Anyway, um, so in that top 10, uh, here are three of the top 10 reasons. One, uh, that there was zero chemistry. Now listen, when it comes to a church, I just got to say this, that like there's nothing you can fix about that. There really isn't. 
Uh, not every church is for every single person. There are people here today that you're like, you know what? I don't really like this church, okay? Zero chemistry. It happens. It happens on a first date. It happens in churches too. And here's the reality. We don't believe that we're the right church for everyone. But we do believe that we're the right church for some. And so what we want to do is, is we want to help you. If you're here today and you're going, hey, you know what? This isn't like really my speed. It's not really my flavor. Totally get it. Um, we're more interested in you finding the right chemistry with Jesus. And we're sincere when we say that. And so um, at the end of the day, if this isn't the church for you, but you want to, like, you want help finding a church, let me know. Let us know. I promise you there will be zero hard uh, feelings there, okay? So let us know. We'd love to help you get into the church. The, the second thing that, that women would say is that um, uh, you bored us. <laughs> you bored us. We were bored. Well, I, I hope you can see that we, we want to have fun at church. Uh, this isn't a boring church. We don't aspire to be a boring church. Uh, we're not like, you know, trying to figure out how we can bore you on your way out today. And uh, hopefully uh, some of you got nibbled by a goat or something like that today and you had some fun. And uh, we want to have fun here at Redemption. The third thing that, that they would say is you're not ready. And uh, as you walked in today, I hope that you felt that we were ready for you. I hope that you felt uh, welcomed. I hope that you felt cared for. Uh, that, hosp that hospitality was, um, you know, was a uh, high priority for us. Uh, I, I think when you have people over to your house, uh, you often, you know, make sure that all the underwear is picked up and put in the hamper, right? That's the first thing we have to do. Uh, make sure that the toilets are clean and nothing gross is on there. Make sure the cabinets are stocked, the fridge is stocked, all those things. And, uh, and then you make sure candles are lit, everything smells good, right? Because you want to welcome people into your home and you want to be ready for them. And so, uh, listen, we want to be a church that's ready for you, but I promise you this. We don't want to be a church that's just ready for you, but we want to be a church that's ready for the friends that you bring in the future. And, uh, and so that, that's who we want to be. Uh, as, as we go through today's uh, service and, and we, you know, finish today's service, I, I, don't, I, don't wanna, to, to, I don't want that to pass without me first saying this, that though this is kind of like this awkward first date, uh, I want to see you again. That's it. Like, we want to see you again. We want a second date with you. And so if you're like, hey, I'm checking it out today and we'll see if we come back, we'd love to see you. Okay, we'd love to see you again. So come on back next week. Um, just so you know, next week, I'll give a quick plug for this, and then we'll get into the sermon. Next week, we're going to be starting this, uh, this series called Love Lies, When Lo Falling in Love Falls Apart. And so this is uh, going to be a four-week series, and we're going to uh, basically counter these four different lies that our culture believes about love, and what does God say about these things? And so we would uh, invite you to come back to that and bring a friend, all right? If you know anybody who's going through um, some, some love uh, quarrels, they're having a hard time with love, we'd love to have uh, them and you back next week, okay? All right, well, did you know that uh, in Lutz, Florida, this past week, someone won the Powerball? Did you guys know that? If you knew that, raise your hand. Okay, Lutz, Florida, someone won the Powerball. Nobody. Nobody cares about this. Right. I mean, at this point, it's kind of like, you know, like, it, it's just news. Um, we, we, have, we have such a news cycle, we don't pay attention to a lot of these things. But the person in Lutz, Florida, obviously, they're unnamed for, for obvious reasons. Nobody wants to, you know, whoever the winner is, they don't want everyone in the world to know that they won 200 $38 million, yeah, $238 million. like, I think that would change your life, you know, like, if you won $238 million, I think it would change your life. Now, listen, the sad thing is, uh, the, the cash payout is actually only $160 million, yeah, and, and that's a bad thing, because the reality is, if you're not doing the math, and I'm bad at math, so I actually pulled out a calculator to make sure I was correct, like, the math uh, shows us that $78 million is the difference, $78 million dollars, and, and that's a lot. I mean, like, I won't make that in my lifetime, probably. Uh, my, my target is 76 million. I might get to 77, but 78 is, is not probable. Uh, joking. Yeah. 
And uh, so $238 million. Well, I think for that person in Lutz, Florida, who got $238 million, I think that's good news. Do you think that's good news? It's not good news. You're not impressed. You don't care. Now, listen, the reason you don't care, the reason you're not impressed is because it's not good news for you. It doesn't change your life. Today, what I want to do is I want to look at this question is, is the resurrection good news for me? Is it good news for me? And I think there are three things that have to happen for the resurrection or anything to be good news for you. The first thing is, it has to be for you. It has to be good news for you. The second thing is, good news has to be true. If it's false, it doesn't matter. It has to be true. And the third thing after that is, does it change my life? Is it going to change my life? So today we're going to look at those three things. And we're specifically going to look at those three things through the lens of three different characters in Scripture. In the story of Jesus' resurrection, uh, that are kind of lesser-known characters in a way. At first, we're going to look at Barabbas. Second, we're going to look at Mary Magdalene. And then third, we're going to look at Thomas. And so before we even go there, let me, let me pray for us and, uh, and just welcome God to do some, uh, some amazing things in this time together. Uh, Father, we believe that you are the God who rolled away the stone on the tomb. We're, we believe today that you're the God that broke out of the grave. And Lord, we believe that no grave can hold you back. And, and if we trust in you, no grave can hold us down either. And so, Lord, we pray that today uh, we would understand more of who we are, uh, more of the confidence that we have in the resurrection, that it is true, that it was all fulfilled when that, when that stone was rolled away. And, uh, and, Lord, I pray that today we would look at this question, is the resurrection good news for us? And, Lord, I pray that we would leave with our, with our hearts crying out a resounding yes. Lord, I pray that you would build us up in confidence in your Holy Spirit and uh, that our lives would look different as we walk out of these doors, uh, more different than they were when we came in. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's all things we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, at Redemption, when we go to the Bible, we do it the same way every week. And so I invite you, if you have a digital Bible or if you have a physical Bible, go ahead and open up to the table of contents. Um, yes, table of contents. And uh, the reason we do this is because we know that everybody who's coming in here is coming in from different, different levels of, of uh, biblical literacy. If I, told you, uh, if I told you to turn to some story in Homer's Iliad, uh, but you never read it before, you wouldn't know where to go. You wouldn't know anything about it, right? And so we're making it super user-friendly for you. So go to the table of contents. We're going to go to the New Testament. So if you see your table of contents, it's divided into two things, Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to go to the New Testament, and we're specifically going to go to the book of John. The book of John. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the fourth gospel. There are four gospels there in the New Testament. And we're going to go to the fourth book, the book of John. We're going to stay in the book of John. All three of our stories are going to be in the book of John today. And they're going to be pretty short scriptures from each book. Um, but we're going to go to John chapter 18 first. John chapter 18. Okay. So first we're going to look at this question. Is the resurrection good news for me? Is it good news for me? We're going to be stepping into Jesus' trial. And uh, in Jesus' trial, uh, it's kind of interesting because in our trial, we don't have two courts. We don't have two court systems. Now, you might have your local court, and then you have to go up to, you know, um, like a higher court. You know, that, like that happens, right? But uh, we don't have two separate court systems. Jesus did. Uh, Jesus was a Jew. He was a Jewish man. And so he had the Jewish court, and then he also had the Roman court. Now, what we know is the Jewish court could not, um, you know, go beyond certain types of charges. And so, for example, 
They couldn't convict someone and then sentence them with capital punishment, okay? That had to be the Roman courts. So Jesus goes to the Jewish court. He's found guilty at the Jewish court. If you don't know the story, what he's found guilty of is blasphemy. Specifically because he claimed to be God. Spoiler alert. By the way, I'm really good at spoilers. Spoiler alert. He is. He was, right? And so everything that they were like convicting him of, like he was, he was guilty of that. Yeah, he claimed to be God because he was. So then they go, hey, Roman officials, we're going to send him to the Roman court. And we need you, Roman officials, we need you to sentence him to death. We need you to give him the capital punishment, okay? And so this is where, where we're kind of picking up here. We're going to start in verse uh, 38 uh, towards the end there. Um, and it says this. Then he went out again to the people and he told them, he is not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release the king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. So what do we know about Barabbas? What we know about Barabbas is he's in all four of the Gospels. He was a revolutionary. He was an insurrectionist. He was, he, he was, he was starting this, this big insurrection against the Roman government, this uprising. He was, a, he was a thug. He was a gangster. He was a murderer. And so on this side, you have Barabbas. He deserves the chains. He deserves the cross. And then over here, you have this man, Jesus, known as the king of the Jews. And what has Jesus done? He's redeemed people. He's healed people. He's forgiven people. He's restored sight to the blind. He's given the deaf the ability to hear. He's given the paralyzed and lame the ability to walk. And so you have Jesus. Sorry, you have Barabbas over here. You have Barabbas, murderer, insurrectionist. And then you have Jesus. It's like your grandma's friend. You know, like Jesus is like the nicest, kindest, most compassionate guy ever. It's a crowd. Who do you want? Barabbas! Barabbas! You know? Like, it's almost laughable. It, it's, it's as if you were talking to a teenager and you're like, hey, do you want to take, like, an apple? Do you want to eat an apple? Or do you want to take cyanide? And they're like, give me cyanide, you know? It's, like, really dumb. And so, so here you have uh, this crowd. They cry out, we want Barabbas. Release to us the thug, the prisoner, the, the, the guy who deserves it, the murderer. And so they do. Barabbas, he leaves that day. He, he comes off the stage, and he goes, goes out with his friends who are waiting for him to come out of prison, his thug friends. Lord knows what they did that day. They continued with their uprising or whatever. We don't know a whole lot about what happens to Barabbas after this, but what we do know is that he doesn't turn around in this moment and say thank you to Jesus. There's not a moment of, of gratitude. There's not a moment of him being thankful. But the crazy thing is, God knew he wasn't going to be thankful for this. God knew that Barabbas was not going to turn around and start worshiping Jesus right there in front of everybody. God knew that at the end of the day, Barabbas may never follow him. And what we see is that Jesus knew that God had to treat Barabbas like Jesus so that he could treat Jesus like Barabbas. And we are Barabbas. We are the person of Barabbas collectively, every single one of us, we are the person who is on trial, and the only thing that was awaiting us was death. I'll prove it to you. Scripture talks about this moment uh, in our lives. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, For the wages, or the payments, or the punishment of sin is death. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, without Jesus, we are Barabbas. We have death sitting in front of us. But because of Jesus, because of what he's done on the cross for us, we have the ability to, to be treated like Jesus. We have the ability to receive eternal life. Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 8, scripture also says this. But God shows his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And this is something that is, is really, uh, it's really good for my heart. Because I don't know where you're at. And I don't know uh, where you were before. For those of you that are following Jesus, I don't know where you were before you decided to follow Jesus. But I know this, that I needed his grace while I was still a sinner. I, I, I didn't have the heart. I didn't have the desire to turn my, my life and my heart over to Jesus. And scripture says that we are spiritually dead without him. The reality is not just myself, but you either. You don't have what it takes to turn yourself over to Jesus uh, without his grace. And while you, were still, while you were still a sinner, God shows his great love for you by sending Christ to die for us. So the question uh, when we look at this is, is Barabbas, was it good news for Barabbas? Was that resurrection, was salvation, was Jesus, was that good news for Barabbas? You better bet it was. It's good news for you, too. So it's good news, uh, but the question is, is it true? Is it true? It could, be, it could be good news, and it was good news for Barabbas, and it's good news for us, but is it true? Uh, is it logical to believe that Jesus was murdered on a cross? Of course it's logical to believe that. Why would it not be logical to believe that? Like, the Roman Empire did this all the time. Like, that was just their shenanigans. That's just what they did, right? Like, that was just a weekend occurrence, okay? So it's not illogical to believe that the Roman Empire murdered a man. But what is illogical, right, people would, would, would question, is did he raise from the grave? And that's the question. Not was he murdered, but did he raise from the grave? And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 and 19, he says this, and if Christ has not been raised from the grave, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. See, what we know is this, that, that everything in Christianity hinges on the empty tomb. Everything hinges on the empty tomb. If Jesus is still in that tomb, if he was still in that tomb, then everything in Christianity is lost. For years, for 2,000 years, there have been men and women who are brilliant, who have made these claims that the, that the, the tomb is still filled with Jesus' body, that his body is still there. No, no, that's not what they made. No, no, they, they made the claim that Jesus' body was what? That it was gone. They're literally rooting for, they're, they're rooting for the resurrection, as it would seem. But the way that they change it is, okay, yeah, the tomb is empty. I get it. I can't get past the empty tomb. That's what people say. I can't get past the empty tomb. But let's talk about why the tomb is empty. And so in, in first century AD, there are a couple different, uh, couple different theories that started to kind of arise. And you've maybe heard some of these theories. One is the swoon theory, super famous theory. The swoon theory is this theory that Jesus didn't, in fact, die on the cross. But he was beaten uh, obviously, he was flogged before he was hung on the cross. He was beaten within an inch of his life, then he was hung on the cross. And then while he was on the cross, before he actually passed away, he was taken off the cross. He was put into a tomb for three days without IVs, medical care, nurses, doctors, all these other things, uh, food, you know, water, right? 
and he stays in the grave for three days. And then at the end of those three days, uh, Jesus, he unrolls the stone that is covering the tomb's entrance, which, by the way, took like four or five men to roll in place. But Jesus did it by himself. He bursts out of the grave, and then he fights an entire garrison of Roman soldiers, taking them all out, and then he, he walks out of there. Like, that's, that's like, in essence, that's, that's the swoon theory, right? That's crazy. That's not the swoon theory. That's the Wolverine theory, you know? Like, because it's, it's, it's better, it's easier to believe that there's a mythical Marvel creation made up of adamantium, you know, that can regenerate health, that can fight off an entire garrison of Roman soldiers and burst out of the tomb. Like, that's just crazy. It really sounds more like a Wolverine theory than it does a swoon theory. All right, so then uh, there's another theory called the stolen body theory. Um, this one basically is just the idea that uh, not just Jesus, um, uh, or, or sorry, G Jesus is in fact dead. He did die. And then like his, his 11 remaining disciples, Judas, if you don't know the story, he's gone. Okay, so 11 remaining disciples, they break into the tomb, and they fight off a garrison of Roman soldiers. By the way, untrained uh, warriors. They're not, they're not skilled. They're not warriors. These untrained, uh, um, untrained men, they fight the garrison of Roman soldiers, and they take Jesus' body, and then they, they hightail it. That's crazy. Again, crazy, okay? Now, listen, uh, John goes into some crazy detail here, um, uh, specifically about this kind of theory in a sense, all right? So we're going to look at this. This is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. It says, early on, Sunday morning, uh, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. By the way, John is calling himself that, super vain. Um, she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples, they started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple, that's John, by the way, if you're not following with this, this is John. He outran Peter. Again, super vain, okay. Uh, and he reached the tomb first. We get it, John. You're cool. All right, so he stooped, and he looked in, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, he arrived, and he went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in. They saw and believed. For until then, they hadn't seen or hadn't understood the scriptures they said, Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Now, listen, if, if, uh, if this were true, if, if Jesus' body were stolen, and, and it was stolen by a bunch of grave robbers, like these are the most courteous criminals in the world, right? The most courteous thieves in the world. They're like, hey, uh, let's unwrap his body, first of all. Let's make sure that we take all the wrappings off. And it's getting kind of gross, right? Let's, let's take all the wrappings off. Okay, now let's fold them all up, guys, because we have been raised better than this. Like, we are not rude criminals, okay? Mom and dad, they would be ashamed of us if we left the tomb like this, okay? We have to fold these up, so put Jesus down, and let's fold up these wrappings. Of course not, right? It's crazy. See, John is saying this to say, this is not a crime scene. This is not, this is not a case of grave robbers. Somebody walked out of that tomb, they weren't stolen. They weren't taken. They weren't, they weren't you know, uh, it wasn't a bunch of criminals that took out the Roman soldiers and then stole the body. Somebody walked out of the tomb, dare I say, sashayed out of the tomb, right? Like maybe even Conor McGregor, like billionaire strut out of the tomb. You know what I'm saying? Like he's going, right? Coming out, okay? Jesus comes out of the tomb because here's the deal. At the end of the day, when you defeat death, two, three, four, five soldiers, they're nothing for you. 
Jesus was in a hurry. He was in a rush. He wasn't doing it, you know, in this clandestine way, but instead he was walking out with confidence. Because when you defeat death, nothing stands in your way. And so he walks out of this tomb. But here's the crazy thing. We're going to continue here in verse 11 um, to look at Mary. Um, okay, let's just go there. Uh, verse 11. Okay, Mary was standing outside the tomb, and she was crying. And as she, as she wept, she stooped in and she looked. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him, she cried out, Rabboni, which, me, which is Hebrew for teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and she told them, I have seen the Lord. And she gave them his message. Listen, we know that this story is good news. It was good news for Barabbas, it's good news for us. We know that there are, there are portions of this, like we can't believe the swoon theory, we can't believe the soul and body theory. Like there's all this like crazy detail about the linen wrappings. Um, and at the end of the day, um, like how do we believe this to be true? Well, there, here's one other thing. The very first person that Jesus spoke to, the very first person that Jesus gave the story of his resurrection to was Mary Magdalene. It's another reason why we know it's true. Why? Because if you don't know this, um, let me just say this, we're, we're pretty woke today, you know, we're pretty woke, uh, we've come a long way, like we've had the suffragist movement, uh, we've had Rosie the Riveter, we've had, you know, this, this you know, like, uh, we're going toward equal pay stuff and, and things like that, we have maternity leave, right, maternity leave pay, um, we're pretty woke, but here's the reality, um, in their culture, uh, they were not, a, a woman's testimony wasn't even accepted in court, uh, a woman, was she was completely rejected. There was nothing that she said that was believed to be true publicly. And so the very first person that Jesus, he, he, he tells this story to, he reveals himself to as a woman. This is a big deal. Um, I mean, their culture was very, very different. And here's the other thing. There are three Marys in the New Testament that are really prominent. One, uh, Jesus' mother, Mary. Two, Martha's sister, Mary. And then three, this Mary, <laughs> This Mary is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is not known as one of the good Marys. When Mary Magdalene was, was met by Jesus, she was possessed by seven demons. And even more so, uh, church history and tradition actually tells us that when she met Jesus, she was a prostitute. And so this Mary is not the Mary that everybody believes. This Mary is not the Mary that everybody in the community loves. This Mary is the Mary who's broken. This Mary is the Mary who has shame and scars and a messed up history and a messed up past. And when this Mary went to town and she was telling other people, I've seen the risen Jesus. I've seen the Savior, like Rabboni, the Messiah. I've seen him risen. They said, sure you did, Mary. I bet you've seen a lot of things, haven't you, Mary? You know, like Mary is having that moment again, right? Why would you include in this story, why would you include this detail if it were not true? 
If it were not true, why would Mary be the one to carry the news? It wouldn't be the case. It would be John. It would be Peter. It would be James. It would be one of the favorite disciples, but I guarantee you it wouldn't be a demon-possessed prostitute woman. Not in that century. And so why do we look at this and we go, I know it's true. Because sometimes uh, truth is stranger than fiction. It, It was good for us. It was good for Barabbas, but it's true. And all throughout scripture, we see that truth. And still, 2,000 years later, nobody can, nobody can come up with a reason for the empty tomb. Three. Uh, oh, and let me, let me say, let me say this. So that, yeah, let me go back. I want to say this, that um, I think the fact that Mary was the one that was chosen gives us hope. I don't know about you guys, but it gives me hope. And, uh, and I'm not saying that because I'm a woman, because I'm not, I'm a man. Uh, that's not why I'm saying that. But what I'm saying is, is Mary had a really messed up history. She, she had a really sketchy past. She was the one with shame and scars and hurt and brokenness. And, and I, I love this about Christianity because over and over and over and over again, it's the unlikely person who's chosen by God to, to change the world. Um, it's, it's 12 disciples who are disgusting, smelly fishermen and thieving tax collectors and and all these other things that God chose to change the world. It's a woman who is demon-possessed, who God chose to bring his message to people who who are changing the world. And there's this verse in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, it says, "When, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Listen, um, I don't know where you're at uh, when it comes to that, but I know this. I know that I need a doctor. Um, it's more than the Dr. Dre and Eminem song, um, if, if you know the 90s popular reference there. Uh, the 90s, early 2000s, but I need a doctor. I, I, need, I, need, uh, I need a God who's going to save me because I can't save myself. In, in my best of days and in your best of days, in your most righteous of days, you'll never be holy enough. You'll never be good enough. But uh, the good news is that the gospel is this, that Jesus came for those who know they need a doctor. Those who don't think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. And so count me in the, uh, in the group that know that I'm a sinner, and I hope and pray that you're in that group as well. So it's good news for us. It's true, but is it life-changing? That's the question. Is it life-changing for us? Um, because here's the thing. Uh, the disciples? Um, Did it change their life? Did it change the eyewitnesses' lives? You you better bet it did. You can count on it. See, James, uh, James was the brother of Jesus. And James sees his resurrected brother, right, God, okay, he sees him, and he goes on to lead the early church. And uh, and, and James, this is like somewhat rote, um, but it's true. Every year you'll hear a pastor say this, but, you know, because James is Jesus' brother, The question is, what do you have to do to convince your sibling that you are God and then convince your sibling to go tell everyone that you are God? And the answer is, you better be God, right? Like, you have to be God, okay? And James does this. He he dedicates, he devotes his life to going and telling everybody about the risen Jesus, all right? So so there's that. And then Peter, Peter, he, the day before Jesus is, is crucified on a cross, Peter denies Jesus. And it's crazy because he denies Jesus to a little girl. 
He's like, I don't, Jesus, I don't know who Jesus is. I've never heard of Jesus before. But, like, she's, like, totally looking up at him, like, yeah, yeah, you do, dude. I saw you with him. And he's like, little girl, I don't know, you know. It's the craziest thing. Uh, I love that story because, like, he didn't deny Jesus to a garrison of Roman soldiers, right? But he denied Jesus to this little girl, you know, by the fireplace. Um, but he was denying Jesus to a girl, to this little, this little girl, okay? But when he, when he saw the resurrected Jesus, he starts preaching, and everything changes. Thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ because they believe that this man, Peter, has seen the resurrected Jesus, right? And so we know that it changed the life for them. Uh, th- there's this quote, men will, men will live with a concoction, but they will only die for a conviction. They'll live with a concoction, but they'll only die for a conviction. To explain that better, I love this quote. This is by Chuck Colson. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact. Oh, by the way, this is uh, Chuck Colson, uh, uh, Nixon's special counsel. Yeah, Watergate, Nixon. Okay. He says, I know uh, the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, and stoned, and put in prison. And they would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Absolutely impossible. And so um, it, it, it changes things, right? Okay, but, but, but Jesus, uh, he ends up appearing to all of his disciples. And, and the one that he doesn't appear to yet is Thomas. I love this story of Thomas. I preached on it last uh, Easter via video. That was kind of like the whole, whole subject was Thomas. But I love this story of Thomas because Thomas is this place where many of you are at. Like he needs evidence. He wants to make sure this isn't fake news. It's not a deep fake, Right? He wants to make sure that this is the real deal, that there really was a man who really was God. He was really crucified. He really died, and then he really rose from the grave three days later. And really, truly, I can place my eternal hope and faith in him. Thomas needed evidence, and I think some of us do here too. And so we're going to read this in John chapter 20, verse 24. It says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, he was not with the the others when Jesus came. So he's by himself. He's out doing his own thing, right? Okay, they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless. And the question is this. What is your unless? Like if you're here today and you're following Jesus, what was your unless? What was the one thing that you, that, that before you started following Jesus, before you put your faith and your hope in him, you said, I won't believe in Jesus unless. What was that thing for you? And if you're here today and you don't trust Jesus, you're not following Jesus, what is that thing for you now? You won't believe in Jesus unless what? Well, what was, what was uh, Thomas's thing? Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. First of all, it's gross, right? Uh, but I get it. He wants proof. Um, I love this, by the way, because I, you know, I think he's kind of like Michael. He's like, not superstitious, but he's a little stitious, you know. Thomas is a little stitious, and so he, he, he wants to find out. Um, he wants to find out, like, what's going on. Um, and he was doubtful. Thomas was doubtful. And why was Thomas doubtful? Thomas was doubtful because a king that was sent to save should not need saving himself. And it is this, this moment where Thomas... He, he, was, he was at the crucifixion. 
He saw Jesus become crucified. He saw him go up on the cross to be hung on that cross. He saw it all happen. And in, in that moment, all the magic and the whimsy and everything that was surrounding this rabbi who claimed to be God, all of that magic dissipated. And Thomas, at the end of three years of following this rabbi, he had had this serious introspective moment. As he saw the spear go into Jesus' side and blood and water comes out, he's dead like he knows he's dead. In that moment, Thomas has to have this introspective moment. And he has to say, for three years I followed this man. I gave my life to him, and I'm a fool. For three years, I followed him, and now I'm the clown that can't wash off his makeup. I'm an absolute fool. And Thomas, he had this problem. The problem that Thomas had, the promise that many of, or the problem that Thomas has, the problem that many of you have. It's the problem that many of us have. And it's the problem that many people in Thomas's day and age had. They wanted Jesus to be something that he wasn't. And, and listen. When we worship Jesus, we have to worship the true and real Christ. Not, not the image of what we want him to be. See, in Thomas's day, they wanted Jesus to come in as a lion, but he came in as a lamb. Right? In, in Thomas's day, they wanted Jesus to come in as a politician, but he came in as a prophet. In Thomas's day, they wanted him to come in as a general, but he came in as the good shepherd. They wanted him to wear a crown on his head, but instead he carried a cross on his back. They wanted him to sit on a throne, but instead he entered a grave. They wanted him to be a king, but instead he came as a servant. They wanted justice for their people, but instead they got something so much more powerful, grace. And the reality is that at the end of the day, Jesus is far better than we could ever dream of. Anything that we think we need from him, he is far better that we could ever dream of. And so Thomas, he finally touches the, the nails and the, and the wound in his side, and he decides to follow Jesus. Was it life-changing for, for, for Thomas? You better bet. It was so life-changing for him, it actually dictated his death as well. It says in uh, John chapter 20, verse 26 to 29, eight days later, the disciples, they were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe, my Lord and my God. Thomas exclaimed. See, Jesus was better than Thomas ever could have dreamed of. Did it change Thomas's life? Yes. Thomas became a missionary, and uh, church tradition tells us that Thomas actually traveled to India. It's about 2,000 miles, or sorry, 3,000 miles away to India. Uh, it's a two-day journey if you're driving 65 miles an hour um, to get all the way to India. And so, uh, so Thomas gets to India, and he's sharing the gospel with people in India. He's a missionary there for years. And at some point, um, the gig is up. Thomas is, Thomas is cornered, and they say, Thomas, recant. Say, just say that you don't believe in Jesus. You don't believe in this fake, fraudulent rabbi. Just say you don't believe the lies, Thomas. Thomas couldn't recant. And soldiers surrounded him and impaled him. He was martyred for his faith. It was so life-changing that it even dictated his death. It even changed his death. So it was life-changing for Thomas. It could be life-changing for you too. See, what this means, the resurrection, it means that death doesn't get to write the final chapter in your story. It means that it doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you, but it means what's been done for you on the cross and the grave is more powerful than you could ever imagine. 
It means that you have an opportunity to live beyond the grave that just like there was no grave that was holding down the body of Jesus, there's no grave that has to hold down your body at the end of your life either. We spend millions of dollars trying to stay younger when really we need to spend millions of hours being devoted to the one that can keep us young forever. The one who will give us eternity, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the one who burst out of the tomb, who no, who no, no tomb could hold him and contain him. That's who we need to be spending time with. So we have the opportunity this Easter to, to engage that Jesus, to, to understand that it's, it's good news for us, it's true for us, and it can be life-changing for us. Um, what we want to do every single Sunday is we want to know who is with us. Um, so we give you a Connect card. And again, this is your way to connect with us, but it's also our way to connect with you. We'd love to be praying for you. We have a list of prayer requests. We'd love to be praying for you. We'd love to get to know you on there. And also, there's a place on there. Um, on the white side, you'll see a bunch of bubbles uh, there that you can fill in. And some of those bubbles are going to be relevant to you today. Um, I would encourage you to look over those bubbles and see which ones are true for you today. But, but this, uh, this moment in the story, what I want to do is I want to give you an invitation to follow Jesus. I don't know if you've ever, ever been in, in a service like this. Um, I, I know some churches... They don't give invitations to follow Jesus. But there are these moments in Scripture where Jesus invites people to follow him. And I love this because uh, we believe, and we say this at Redemption all the time, that salvation isn't a game that you win or lose, but it's a gift that some people receive and some people refuse. You can receive it. You can take it. Jesus is offering it. Um, and Scripture says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says that, that the only thing you have to do is, is to declare that Jesus is Lord, to believe that he is Lord, to say that he is Lord, and to believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead or that Christ was raised from the dead. And so we have the opportunity today to put our faith in Jesus. On that card, you'll see there, it specifically says that I'm committing my life to Christ. The other thing that's on there uh, that I want to tell you about, it says uh, I, I would like to get baptized. Next week, we're actually going to have a baptismal pool on this stage, Destiny, the church that we're renting from here, uh, Destiny's going to be having a baptism service next week. And I would love for those waters to be filled, not only for Destiny's church, but also for our church as well, because we serve the same risen Savior. And so I invite you, uh, if you're at a place that you're going, hey, I, you know what, I believe, I believe in the resurrected Christ. And today is that day that I, I'm, I'm finally over the edge, like I believe it's true. Uh, I, I've, I've heard these stories before, but today I believe it's good news for me. I believe it's true, and I want it to change my life. I would love for you to check that box, to literally just, just fill out that bubble. I committed my life to Christ. If you're at a place where you're going, hey, I've, I've been following Christ, but I've not been baptized yet, I would encourage you to go ahead and fill out that, right, that you're ready to get baptized. And, and this is what I want to do. If, if, if today's the first day that you have prayed this prayer, um, or, or today's the first day that you have, you, you've decided to follow Jesus, we're, we're going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray a prayer together. Uh, at Redemption, we started doing this out loud. We started praying this together out loud. And, uh, and this is just a time of affirmation. For those of us who already follow Jesus, it's a time for us to, to reaffirm our, our following of this risen Savior. If this is the very first time that you're praying this, the very first time that you're affirming that you follow Jesus, uh, then we want to pray it with you, out loud, alongside you, shoulder to shoulder. So um, everybody bow your heads and close your eyes, and, 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 uh, and we're going to pray this out loud as a church together. So pray with me out loud. Heavenly Father, 
I am a sinner. I need a Savior. And today, I receive your grace. This is my new beginning. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive my sin and rose from the dead to give me life. I receive this new life. I'm a child of God. I'm a new creation. Amen.